Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. Uh, we want to welcome all of you that are guests with us tonight. Thank you for coming, all that are watching online. Pray that the Lord would bless you tonight. Exodus chapter 18 and verse 1. Exodus 18 and 1. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, <clears throat> then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien in a strange land, and the name of the other was Eliezer, for the God of my father said he was mine help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and, and his wife unto Moses into the wilderness, where he encamped at the mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I am thy father-in-law, Jethro, I thy father-in-law, Jethro am come unto thee, and thy wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And, and Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein thou they dealt proudly, he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God, and Aaron came, and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now, notice how, oh, that was all real feel-good stuff, wasn't it? Jethro was in a good mood. He was giving his daughter and two grandsons back to their husband, dad, to take care of, so... That was a good thing. And uh, he was thrilled over all God had done. So what's about to happen is not a result of him having a bad attitude or being in a bad mood. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw that all that he did saw all that he did to the people. No, no, in the preposition for, shouldn't Jethro have been impressed by all that Moses was doing for the people? That's not what it says. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, what is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone and all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening? Moses is blown away. He, he doesn't know how to respond to this. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. 
When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee, for thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. In other words, you need to minister the word to them. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge, so it, so shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bur- bear the burden with thee. And it, if thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. You may be seated. I didn't realize there was only three verses left, so I'll read them. And Moses said, and Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people. Rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his, went his way into his own land. No, no, notice this. Verse 21. Moreover thou shalt provide out of out of all the people, able men, such as fear God. You're, you're to provide this leadership out, uh, out from among the people. Why, why is that important? Well, just for a moment, if you would, go to Numbers chapter 11. And uh, let's begin with verse 10. Moses 11 or 10. I just need to lay a little background here. Uh, and Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, every man at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and in the eyes of, of Moses it was evil. And Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servants? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Have I conceived all these people? Touched the wrong place on the screen. Have I conceived all these people? Have I brought them forth that you may say, you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nursing father carries the suckling, sucking child to the land which you swore to their fathers to give them? Where should I get meat to give all these people? 
For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. And if this is the way you deal with me, kill me, I pray you at once. He is not the only preacher who's ever asked to die. Thank you for laughing, but I'm absolutely serious. We hadn't been here very long, and we haven't been here a year or so. First guy, person got the Holy Ghost was a backslidden Marine. That's a miracle, isn't it? And then, uh, then this, I knocked on this family's door. The lady and her kids started coming, and she claimed she got the Holy Ghost at home, but virtually nothing changed in her life. And she uh, she had a little problem playing chimney, and uh, she claimed she couldn't stop. And uh, she smoked. I can't believe some of y'all needed an interpretation on that. And she couldn't. And I wish I was exaggerating when I say this. She would call my house. Four, five, six, seven, eight times a day to see if the Lord and I had changed our minds that it was now okay for her to smoke. She was very supernaturally gifted because she always knew when we sat down to eat. We could vary the times we ate. It wouldn't make any difference. The moment I sat down to eat, she would call. And we would give, <laughs> she'd ask the same questions, I'd give her the same answer over and over and over again. This went on for months. And I, I, I had never pastored before. We still didn't have any people hardly. She was the second one. Second. Second. Okay. I, I, I'll never forget the day. I had, I was, I was filled up to here, and it was running out my ears. And I got in the car, and I was steaming. And I, I pulled out of that little court we lived in and pulled up to the stop sign. I was headed someplace. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. I said, God, if this is what pastoring is like, you can have it. I don't want to do this the rest of my life. Thankfully, it's not what pastoring has been like, just in a few rare situations. So here's Moses. Lord, you know, if this is really your plan, just kill me now, because this slow death, is this is hard. Verse 15, if this is the way you deal with me, kill me, I pray you at once, and be, and be granting me a favor. And let me not see my wretchedness in the failure of all my efforts. And the Lord said to Moses, gather me 70 men of the elders of Israel. Whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. And bring them to the tent of the meeting and let them stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take of the spirit which is upon you. And we'll put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, 
so that you may not have to bear it yourself alone. Now, here's the point I'm trying to get to with all that rambling. The point is, in Exodus 18, those leaders were taken from among the people. In Numbers 11, the elders were taken from among the elders. Not the same thing at all. Not the same thing. Two two completely different types of ministry. Two completely different purposes. Both very essential to the body of Christ today. You'll notice Exodus 18 is two full chapters before God gave the law to Moses on Sinai. What's the point? God gave instruction for the ministry of the church or the ministry of the saints and the revelation of church structure to full chapters before he even gave the Ten Commandments. Why is that important? Let me tell you why it's important. God, everything the Lord does is a demonstration of principles and patterns. God is a God of principles and patterns. God is a God of principles and patterns. God is a God of principles and patterns. He never violates his principles and patterns. And 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 an established and demonstrated principle is always in effect. It may be applied in different dispensations. It might be applied one way under the law and applied in a completely different way under grace. But the difference is, it's the principle is not in contradiction whatsoever. In the Old Testament, the sign that you were part of the covenant was circumcision. In the New Testament, the sign that you're part of the covenant is circumcision of the heart, which the Bible equates to water baptism. Same exact principle. There is an outward demonstration of an inward commitment to the covenant. If you were not circumcised, then you and your family could not be a part of the covenant. If you are not baptized, it's the principle. It's the principle. If you teach a doctrine that contradicts God's principle, then it's your doctrine, not His. So, the first man, Adam, was created in the garden. The Lord Jesus Christ is called the second man, Adam. And the second man, Adam, is called Christ. And he is now the head of the body, and the church is the body, Christ. And so whatever happened in the garden, in the formation of the first Adam, is a natural illustration of the formation of the spiritual Adam. And that spiritual Adam is 
Christ is the head in heaven and the body of Christ is here on earth. The second Adam. Now, I have a question for you. Which took place first in the garden? Did the Lord blow the breath of air and then hurriedly create a structure to encapsulate that breath of air? Or did he create the structure first, no matter how unspiritual that may seem, and then breathe the breath of life into the structure? Which did he do first? Uh, I'm not getting any responses because obviously you are aware that it's pretty obvious which he did first. I've got to be honest with you. It didn't look like any great thing was going on when God was playing in the dirt. We are made up of two of the most common things there is in existence. If you actually study out the word uh, dust, it means literally the loose impediment of soil that's on top of the ground. And it must have been a certain type of loose impediment because when mixed with water, it became clay. It didn't become mud, it became clay. And when Paul said, uh, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels are made out of clay. In other words, we're just old clay pots. We're not made out of the dirt. We're made out of dust particles or loose soil that had clay properties that when it's mixed with water, it's moldable. It didn't look all that impressive if we could have observed it. God forming this thing out of the dirt. What are you doing, Lord? Playing in the, in the dirt. Playing in the mud. Playing with clay. It wasn't till after the structure was perfected and that God breathed the breath of life into it. And when the breath of life, which in our culture today we call revival, when the spirit of revival comes, the breath of life comes into a perfected structure, there's a third thing that happened. He created man out of the dust of the earth. He breathed into his nostrils with the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Man did not become a living soul when the body was created. The man, man did not become a living soul because breath was breathed. But breath entering to that structure created a living soul. And we are at a place in God's prophetic timing when he is rapidly bringing his church into structural alignment with him. So I didn't know we were out of line. That's because we are so church service focused. We think this is what God created. I got bad news for you. God didn't create church services. Amen. 
Church services are important. But if they're your end all to be all to do all, you haven't got it yet. That's not what we're here first and foremost to do. We're here as the body of Christ to be a living organism. But an organism without a structure is called an amoeba. And in my travels around the world, I have preached in a lot of 300-pound amoebas. Because theoretically, an amoeba is the smallest of animals. It is a one-cell animal that you cannot see without a very powerful microscope. It was never God's intent for that single cell to just expand until it was a blob. That couldn't be missed. Because that blob had a nucleus. That's the preacher. And he's somewhere floating around inside the mass of this single cell amoeba. The Lord's principle of growth is multiplication through division. You say one cell becomes two, that's multiplication, yes. But how does one become two? It divides. Two divides and become four. Okay, multiplication is happening now. Two times two is four, yes. But all multiplication requires division. Growth happens. And when you get to a certain point, you don't keep growing, you divide. Now, you don't separate. This is really ballpark, okay? But sometime, it takes about four, four and a half, and there's going to be some medical person here who's going to say, you're wrong. Okay, I admit it. Ballpark, give or take nine months. Somewhere in the process, that single sperm and single egg that fertilized, they begin to divide. It, it takes a while for all the bones and muscles and skin and organs to be finally formed by dividing cells. There comes a point where the structure and the organs of the body stop being created afresh. There comes a point where they're now all in existence. It's not the day before you're born. It's only about halfway through the process. Where new parts of the structure, and I'm including not just skeletal structure, but the organs and all, all that's necessary to sustain life. There comes a point in the process where there's no new thing created. It's now necessary for all of those things that have been created to further grow and develop so that they can now sustain life when it's time. That's why babies that are born premature oftentimes don't make it because lungs are not fully developed. They're there. They're lungs, heart. Other organs, they're not fully, they're there, but they didn't come to full maturity. 
and for the church of the living God to see what we are believing for, there has to be a point in time where we come to the place where all the pieces are in place. And then after the pieces are in place, those things begin to mature until we're able to not only survive, but thrive when God begins to do the work that He's promised to do. The problem with all of that? You're kidding me. I thought all I had to do was just go to church. You don't have to do any of that. But here's the problem. You'd like to go to Ezekiel chapter 37. We'll read a little bit. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, set me down in the midst of a valley full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. Behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, thou knowest. I don't have a clue. Apparently you're asking the question, you got the answer. Again he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you. And ye shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And that's all well and good. But you don't just speak the word and instantly that's there. There was a process of words that were spoken and things that happened in the process after each word. Ooh, I'm dry. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a noise. And behold, a shaking. Listen now. And bones, the bones came together, bone to his bone. In other words, here's this valley full of piles of bones. The implication is that animals must have eaten what was on the bones because the bones are no longer Skeletons laying on the ground. They are piles of bones that are not connected where they originally were connected when the body was born. So when he prophesied, when he prophesied, the first thing that happened for that miracle to take place was each bone found its place where it belonged. You didn't have this bone trying to fit in where the thigh belongs. Each bone had a place where it was designed to fit. Each bone had a place. Each bone was designed for a specific place. And no matter how much that bone may have desired to be something else, for it to be fulfilled and to be blessed of God, it had to find its place 
with the bones it was connected to before. So, this bone didn't just find any hand that it could fit in with. Sorry, there's no two of us here that have the same hand that look, uh, hands that look exactly alike. Yeah, yeah, we all basically have a palm and, and we've got five fingers or four fingers and a thumb. Most of us have that. Uh, you know, we, we, it, it, the general idea is the same. But there's no two of us have the same hand. So therefore, each bone can only fit in the specific place it was designed of God to be in. So if I'm sit around, sitting around coveting somebody else's place, jealous because I'm not in somebody else's place, and therefore not applying myself to find the place I was designed to be in, then I'm never going to be happy, I'm never going to be fulfilled, and I'm going to hinder God's plan by not being who and what He's called me to be. It was only after bone came together bone to his bone. After that, after that, that the next step of the miracle could happen. And that's when sinews and flesh came upon it and skin covered it. But there was still no breath. Did you see? Did you hear this? I've said this all over the country. I really have. I've said this north, south, east, and west. I've said this overseas. I'm now saying this in Antioch. I believe in fasting and prayer. And I know we need to fast and pray. And I know we're praying for God to do X, Y, Z. And we're believing God for all that. And I believe every bit of that. But let me tell you something right now. God can breathe all he wants, but if there's nothing to breathe into... We can pray for the Spirit of God to move. That's wonderful. I love the move of the Spirit of God. But if the structure is not where it needs to be, then the, the breathing of the Spirit of God gives us a thrill, but doesn't accomplish anything. It's like praying for God to rain on our field. And all we grow is weeds because there's never been any plowing done. There hasn't been any seed sown. You can, you can have God rain on your field all you want, but you're not going to like the results unless there's been something done to prepare that field so they can benefit from the rain. Should we stop praying and fasting and believing God and worshiping and all? No, 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 no. But the point is, some of us have expectations that are out of divine order because we're expecting God to do stuff that he's not ready to do because the vehicle through which he is going to do what we're asking for isn't quite where it needs to be. Well, what's missing? I got a question. Do you know your place? Are you applying yourself in God to be prepared and find your place and do what you're created to do? <coughs> 
Oh, and by the way, a cheerleader in the audience is not what you're called to be. And you, you can be the best cheerleader going, but that's not your place. Yes, we're all supposed to worship God. I'm all for that. We need to worship God. But that's not your place. Well, I'm faithful to church. That's wonderful. It's recommended highly because that's what the book says. But that's not your place. What's your place? I don't know. I keep waiting for somebody to tell me. (laughs) You know what I found the hard way? God's not going to tell me my place till I demonstrate to him that I seriously want to know and that I'm willing to make a commitment to him and fill that place when he tells me. Not, I'm not here to give you a hard time at all. I'm just simply telling you, uh, you know, I believe God. I believe the word of God to Antioch. I believe it with all my heart. I'm here. Praise God. But I guess it was three, four, five days before my birthday. You know, I this somewhere in my brain, this seven zero became this big deal. And I was kind of moping around a little bit. Talking to the Lord about how I couldn't believe I'm 70. What, oh God, what does this mean? Blah, blah, blah. And he says to me, well, I, I have a question. Okay. I hope I got an answer. He said, what is there that you could do at 60 that you can't do today? And I sat there and I went down through everything I could think of. And I said, nothing. He said, so there's not one thing that you could do physically at 60 that you can't do now? No, there isn't. He said, then... Why is a number bothering you? The number's irrelevant. It's functionality that's the issue. Well, he got me inspired. I got thinking back at 50. Let's see, what is there that I could do at 50 that I can't do now? Well, there's a few things that I could try. I was talking to Brother Whaley today, and he was down on his knees, not knelt down on his knees. He was sitting back on his feet on his knees. And I said to him, I don't know very many people at 60 that can do that. First of all, I don't think I could get in that position. But if I got in that position, it would be an accident that I did. 
And if I got in that position, even not intending to get in that position, I couldn't get up. And if somebody helped me up, I am about 90% positive I wouldn't be able to walk afterwards. But you know what? I couldn't do that when I was 25. I couldn't get down like that when I was, I couldn't get down like that when I was 25. You know, I only played high school. Well, I played in a bureau of football at the academy, but high school football, that's, there's a great price to pay for, for playing football. It looks fun, but you don't ever stop paying the price. With your knees that don't work really good. So I sit and pray. I'll get prostrate. Prost- I'll lay down and pray. <laughs> I'll walk and pray. But kneeling and praying. Woo. That's tough. That's hard. So anyway. I'm not the only one sitting here that's got football injuries you're still living with. So what is your place? What's your place in the body? What is God? What has he designed you to be? What is the role he's designed you to have? Because I'm going to tell you something right now. If you're trying to be a Christian... Simply by focused on your own life and your own salvation and you're not pursuing God to find your place in the body and to fulfill your place in the body, you will never be happy ever. You might survive spiritually, but you're not going to enjoy the trip. There's not a day that comes by that I, I can't wait to get out of bed. I got something to get up for. I've got faith. I've got promises. I've got something to live for. You do too. Unless you haven't bothered to find it yet. If you're not aware of what you've got to live for, then, you know, I love my family. I, I love my wife. I love my sons and daughters. And I love my grandchildren. And I, I love them. I love them. I really do. And I love this church. But I told God yesterday morning, I, I, love, I love all these people. But when you're done with me, They can meet me in heaven because I'm done. I don't want to live one day longer than he has purpose for me here. I'll say that one more time. I don't want to live one day longer than he has purpose for me here. Now, I, 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 I've kidded about it over the years and whatever. And uh, like a lot of us. You know, I've let my taste buds rule what's best for me at times. And, 
and all that. And I, I, I understand this is his vessel and we have to try to take care of that as long as I'm not doing it out of fear. Okay. But, but quite frankly, I'm not interested in eating healthy to live another 10 years with my brain not able to function where I can be a part of what God's doing. I, I just soon be out of here. I love my wife. I love her. But I'll see her in heaven. Because when he doesn't need me here anymore, I'm out of here. I want, I want to be out of here. Because I believe that if I'm breathing, he's not done with me yet. And when he's done with me, I won't be breathing. I believe that. I don't care if you're 22 or 72. It doesn't make any difference. When God's done with you, you won't be breathing. If you're breathing, I don't care how sick you are, how difficult it is. If you're breathing, he's not finished with you yet. He gives breath, he can take breath. It is so easy for him to do, he doesn't even have to think about it. So if you're here, you're breathing, why? What's your purpose? Why you're here? What's your place? Now, I read these two scriptures in Exodus 18 and Numbers 11. For you to understand, not everybody's called to preach. It's not God's favoritism. Oh, Lord. In fact, Paul said, woe is me if I, not, if I, if I, if I don't preach the gospel. Woe. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. But, but he also taught this, that the teacher, preacher, the minister of the word is under a double condemnation. Because I can't go to heaven and just do what you do to go to heaven. I gotta do what you've gotta do and I've gotta do whatever it comes out of my mouth that I teach you to do. Because if I don't, if I, if I'm not allowing the Lord to work in my life to work out my salvation between Him and I, I am condemned by the very things I've said to you. You know, this is an amazing time in America from one perspective. There's never been a world power in history who has ever fought major wars with an all-volunteer army or military. It's unthinkable. It's totally unprecedented in all of the history of man. And since, but actually before 9-11, we have had an all-volunteer military, no draft. In fact, many, many years ago, they would take you if you could barely read and write. Nowadays, if you don't have a high school diploma, you can't even join the military most of the time. So they're not only, they not only have an all volunteer military, but you've got to have tried to make a little something of yourself for them to take you.
Well, I got a, I got a point for you. <clears throat> there are no volunteers in the ministry of the word. Nobody can volunteer to be a preacher. You're either called or you're not. You say, well, I, I'm not called. That's not fair. God has rejected me. Really? Here's the, here's the problem you've got with that. Those he calls, it's either or. You say yes to the call or you're lost. Oh, come on, Brother Wright. You don't honestly believe that a person's called, they've got to obey God and preach or they won't be saved. With every single fiber of my being, I believe that. And if I have things that are limiting me at some point in my life where I can't preach, i got to find some way to get the word out. If it's nothing but writing emails to people and preaching to them. Or Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Something. I mean, some of you are have liked Apostolic Iron Facebook page, and some of you are my friends. And so you know this to be true. If you're planning on communicating with me through Facebook or Twitter, good luck. Because I see both of those as primarily only one thing, a pulpit. Anybody talking? Am I having a conversation with anybody right now? No. So with Facebook and Twitter, for the most part, I don't have conversations. What God gives me to say, I say. And if he doesn't give me something, I'm not writing it just to fill up a page. I'll have people, I may go. Few, you know this, some of you know this, a few weeks at, or more or whatever, and I haven't written anything. People say, where are you? Right where I always am, waiting on whatever God has to say. He talks, I write. He doesn't talk, I don't write. Pretty simple, isn't it? The point I'm making is, if I'm called, i got to find some way to preach. But that's really not who I'm talking about here tonight. If you would go with me to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read beginning with verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets... And some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For the, this is King James now. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. For from whom the whole body, 
fitly joined together and compacted by that whichever joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. So if you will permit me just for uh, discussion's sake, I'm reading from the Amplified. And his gifts were, bracket, varied, he himself appointed and gave men to us. Notice the gifts. He gave gifts to men so that they could be gifts to the body. Some to be apostles, special messengers, some prophets, inspired preachers and expounders, some evangelists, preachers of the gospel, traveling missionaries, some pastors, shepherds of the flock, and teachers. Notice he didn't even try to expand on that. Just teacher. Okay. His intention for giving them was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people, that they should do the work of ministering toward building up Christ's body, the church. Weiss Expanded Translation puts it this way. And he himself gave some on one hand as apostles and on the other hand as prophets. Still again, some as bringers of good news and finally some as pastors who are also teachers. For the equipping of the saints for ministering work with a view to the building up of the body of Christ. In other words... The ministry was called to minister to the church, to the saints, to fully equip the saints for ministry so that the church, the body, would do the ministry that would see the church grow. Now, now I know, I know, life is tough, isn't it? And we've got all kind of stuff to do, and, and, and our lives are so busy, and we have, we just don't hardly have any time, and. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, people really had it really hard a century or so ago because they had to get up and go find some corn or grains of wheat and they had to get the mill out and grind that up. And and once they got the flour ground up, then they had to get some oil or water and then had to mix all that up. And, and then they had to... They had to get some wood from outside, get the stove, get the stove going where it needs to be so it's finally at the right temperature and yet that takes a little learning to do to know how to get that wood burning stove right. But anyway, and then now that you got the dough made, you got to put that in there uh, so that you can get the bread baking for breakfast because there's no store to buy sliced bread from. So then you got to go out to the, to the hen house, chicken house, get the, get some eggs for breakfast and you go to the larder and get some, bacon and, and 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 get ready to cook that up and and while you're doing all that you're planning on where you're going to have the fire to boil the water for washing the clothes over the scrub board and and so that you can wash the clothes by hand and hang them out on the line and and uh and I got to clean the house with a broom the whole house with a broom and 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 all of that and then once I got that done now I've got lunch to prepare and 
and closed them in by hand. And then I got to, we got to get dinner ready because my husband is, uh, he's plowing fields and feeding the animals and all that. And, oh, and by the way, there's church tonight. And that preacher, he doesn't preach long enough. We only go two, three hours with the preaching and we we get home early midnight sometimes and so then then we have to get to bed because it's time to quite time to get up day starts at 4 4 30 and uh they had it really easy because they didn't have any they had all kind of spare time to live for god and of course we we i'm not trying to be sarcastic i'm just trying to make it a point how in the world can we, our lives, be so full when we don't do any of that? How? How can we, and I know, it, there's not a person sitting here that doesn't say, think, whew, I, I don't know where all the time goes. I don't, I don't have any time. I mean, you know how much time it takes to do Facebook? And people are going to be offended if I don't respond back when they tell me they're about to go to bed. And I've got to like that dessert picture they took or they're going to be offended with me and think I don't care. Whoo, and emails and voicemails and text messages and Twitters and tweets, tweets from Twitter and Instagram and well, I don't have any time for you, God. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just trying to make a point. You know what I've learned in 45 years? People always have time to do what they really want to do. There's not one of us here that doesn't have time to do what we really want to do. Are we busy? Yeah. Yeah, we are. I, you know, my grandfather worked 12, 14 hour days. My dad worked eight, 10 hour days. My, my generation, eight hours was a lot. And, you know, I, I don't know how, I don't know how it happens, but every generation thinks their life is the most difficult. And so there, therefore, that's our excuse. Am I implying we've all got it easy? No, every, every generation has got its challenges. Every day, every age has its challenges. But the point I'm trying to make is this. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There isn't one for each generation. And the Lord's going to want to know, did you find your place in me? Did you fulfill your place? The man that officiated in the service that I was ordained in in May of 1971 was a great man of God. His name was J.T. Pugh. He, uh, I heard him preach that for the believer, judgment is going to be when we get before his throne to be judged because there is a judgment for all children of God. We may not be 
lost, but there's a judgment. And he said that judgment's going to be, he's going to lay out the blueprint of how he planned your life. And he's going to take a transparency of how I lived my life and lay that down over his plan and see how close I came to it. Why? Because this is his plan. Do I believe in worship? Yes. I know most of you have never heard me play, but I'm a musician. There was a point in time as a young person where I thought heaven would be to get to go to heaven and play my trumpet in the Lord's band for eternity. I honestly thought that would be heaven. It was was a great idea at that point. Okay? Uh, <laughs> then... Uh, <clears throat> I love to sing. I, don't have to, I, I, I know I don't, I'm not as demonstrative as I used to be, and some of that's just in my head. Uh, one of these days, I'm gonna, everybody's going to fall out because I'm going to take off running and, and, and not die. <laughs> not even have a heart attack. It's going to shock everybody. You're going to think Lazarus came out of the dead and did a lap. One of these days, that's going to happen, honestly. But, I, I mean, I love worship. I love demonstrative worship. Love it. Believe it's of God. Believe it's the will of God. Uh, I believe being faithful to the house of God and receiving the word of God. I believe all that is important. But that cannot and is cannot be and is not the definition of God's purpose for me in the body. It is not. It is not. You know, I, I have uh, never, my mind is just, you know, in, 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 I didn't read the verse, but in Numbers 11, Moses said that Israel was about 600,000 footmen. To be able to go to war, you had to be at least 20 years old, and you couldn't be over 50. So those 600,000 men who fought for Israel were between 20 and 50. There were men over 50. There were men under 50, under 20. But just let's just use those 20 men. Because in most cases in that day and time, you were married by the time you were 20. So that meant those 600 men were heads of household. So Jethro told Moses... I want you to pick out one person from among the people for every ten families. And I want you to make that person accountable for caring for and making sure those ten families are taken care of. That means to take care of 600,000 families represented by those 600,000 footmen. There were 60 Thousands, 60,000 captains of tens. Then he appointed another level of leadership. He appointed captains of fifties. So for every five captains of ten, you had an overseer who was a captain of fifty. 
So that captain of 50 helped each of the captains of tens take care of their families that are under them, that they're responsible for. And notice, it wasn't just social gathering. All of these people were responsible for taking care of the normal needs of the people. The only thing that came to Moses was the, was the hard stuff. They weren't preachers. But they handled the normal stuff. And then, the next level of oversight was captains of 100. So each captain of 100 had two captains of 50. And each 50, captain of 50 had 10, five captains of 10. So that captain 100 had a hundred captains of 10 and two captains of 50, all that he was responsible for. hundred families. Excuse me, 10 families. He was a captain of a hundred. No, a hundred families. He was captain of two captains of 50, which were over 10 captains of 10 who were each over 10 families. So there were 600,000 captains of 10. There were 30,000, no, not 30,000. My mind is so blank right now. Come on, this is simple math. (laughs) How many? Come on, are you bad off as I am? What's five into 12,000? Thank you. I, I can't believe it. My brain, it just wouldn't, my brain wouldn't do it. Okay. So there were 60,000, 60,000 leaders, 60,000 captains of 10. There were 12,000 captains of 50s. I think I can do this one. There were 6,000 Captains of 100. <coughs> Let's see. That is <laughs> 78,000 liters. Oh, but we didn't stop. Because now there are captains of thousands who have 10 captains of hundreds under them, who have two captains of 50 under them, who have uh, five captains of ten under them who each have ten families under them. So, 78,600 leaders from among the people took care of 600,000 families. You've heard me use the terminology multiple voice, multiple pulpit church. That's not what this is talking about. This is so far beyond just multiple voice, multiple pulpit church. What is this called? It's the mother dimension of leadership. The pulpit ministry or what we call the pulpit ministry. Biblically, I call it the oversight ministry. You know something? (laughs) I can't speak for every preacher. But I can speak to every preacher about what I'm 
concerned about what I'm about to say. Being called to preach, being called one of the oversight ministries, does not make me a better person than anybody. Not at all. It's just a matter of gifting. It's a gifting. And the gifting's not me, it's God. And your kindness on Saturday and respect that we show to those who who preach to us the word of God, that's all well and good. But that's not done for their sake. It's done for your sake. You're the one that benefits by showing respect and honor. Take that however you want to. I don't mean it negatively at all, but it's true. The one that benefits by showing honor is the one doing the showing, not the one receiving the honor. Because the bottom line is, the one that's being honored must allow the Lord to keep them reminded that they're just human vessels that he is using for his kingdom's sake. Period. End of story. That all the glory is his, all the honor is his, and any man of God that doesn't do that is on his way into big trouble. No matter what level your ministry of the word may be at at this point, or what level your authority or responsibility may be, it's God, it's got to all be God. But, bottom line, Anytime you're ministering, whether you're a part of the mother dimension of ministry and leadership as Moses created in Exodus 18, or if you're one of the elders chosen from among the elders. Notice, those 70 weren't all the elders in Israel. They were 70 elders chosen from among all the elders in Israel to lead elders and to lead the body. Now, change is uh, not something that most people are really comfortable with. I didn't call the people of God sheep because biblically I am one as an individual. But you know, sheep aren't comfortable with change. But it has been the goal of the leadership of this church for 30, well, right now, going on 34 years, to find the will of God for our structure. And to move into that. Sometimes people don't understand. It doesn't matter what your revelation is. You got to be ready to move into it. And nobody can go from A to Z overnight. You know. (laughs) There are people that sat here for years. Under my ministry as the pastor. So December the 18th of 2005, 
the Lord said it was time to make a change. You said he didn't say that to you. And he didn't say that to me. Well, that, fine. You weren't the one he needed to say it to. He said it to the one he could get some action out of it. I mean, you know, you could come up to me and say, you know, I kind of think it's about time Brother David became pastor. I'd say, thank you for your input. God bless you. Because until he said it, ain't happening. He said it. I did it. Well, you know, change is difficult. Had nothing to do with whether or not you loved Pastor David. That had nothing to do with it. People were used to this, and and he's this, and that's what he's supposed to be. It's who he's called to be, equipped to be. He was this, and so he's not this. Some said, thank God, and some said, but but I'm so used to trying to stay saved because you beat beat me into being saved. That was never the goal. <laughs> Even though that's the way some took it. And some couldn't make it when they weren't getting whipped up on every service. Oh, I need that kind of preaching. Well, you know what? Children need that kind of discipline when they're children, but they're supposed to grow up at some point. I, I know some of you are going to go, oh, but I remember the last time I spanked the senior pastor. He was 16. It had been a little while before the previous one, but he got little mouthy with his mother and let me tell you something right now I made the point very clearly that you're not going to you're not going to mouth off at your mother that was the last time and of course his brother who was <laughs> barely well about eight at the time he watched that whole thing. Kind of hard not to do. Him and his brother slept in the same room by their by their choice. But, uh, I mean, that was there. And so, you know something? You could see it working in Brother Joel's mind. This ain't happening to me. That's one of the reasons. <laughs> I made sure he was able to see that and hear that because I fully expected to not have to do that to him at 16 because I already proved that I would. But it was never the goal, never the motive, and someone very kindly said that Saturday. The motive was always to... Uh, just help you go to heaven. Just want you to go to heaven. I want you to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven more than anything else in this entire world. That's what I want. I want to go to heaven. Eternity is so long, there's nothing here worth missing heaven over. Nothing. You can't treat me bad enough to get me mad enough that I'm willing to hold a grudge and go to hell with a grudge. You can't do that. It's not possible. You can't do anything to me that's bad enough that I refuse to forgive you for so that I go to hell with a grudge. It ain't going to happen. You can't offer me enough money. You can't offer me enough pleasure. You can't, you can't, there's, you can't. 
Because there's nothing worth going to hell for eternity over. And I realize there are some churches that believe you can go pay for your sins for a while and then it switches somehow. I've never been told exactly how you could get out of purgatory into heaven. I don't know that. I'm not making fun. There's some that believe that. But we don't believe that. We believe whatever condition you're in when you die, you're going to live, you're going to suffer the consequence of that forever. I want to go to heaven. But I don't want to go to heaven by myself. I want everybody else that will let me help them get there. I don't mean me as savior, but I, I want, I want you to go to heaven. I want you to go to heaven. The pastor wants you to go to heaven. The men of God in this church want you to go to heaven. We want you to go to heaven. But it's not, there comes a point where it's like, it's, it's like losing weight. There comes a point you got to stop thinking about what you're not eating, what you can't taste anymore. Get involved with something good and, and just enjoy life and get meaning in your life. Get your mind off food. You can lose weight. But as long as I sit around and mourn and grieve over what I can't eat anymore, it's the same thing with living for God. If you... If you're going to sit around and mourn over all the stuff you can't do anymore, if it was really that good, you would have never gotten saved in the first place. So why are you mourning over what you can't do anymore? If you'll get involved with the kingdom of God, your life will be full. You won't have to worry about whether or not you're going to go to heaven or not. So, in winding this up, the message of this lesson is <sighs> if you begin to think in your mind about how many people God's promised to give us and how many mothers, male and female, with, with that spirit of ministry, that, that calling, that gifting, to, to be a part of the mother dimension of leadership. Because there are women who are called to preach. Who are part of the father dimension of ministry. And there are men who are called to help give care. Those were captains. Choose you out men from among the people. In that case there wasn't women involved. But so men can be a part of the mother dimension. Men can be caregivers. So they can be. So the, the thing is this. How many leaders just, of amongst, just among saints do you think we're going to have to have to biblically take care of 100,000 members? Because the most significant element of ministry for the saints is a care group. That was the revelation God gave this church in 1982. It's still the revelation. And I realize that we may not have talked very much about it over the last years. But it is still the foundational ministry and foundational revelation to this church of how to win people and help them be saved 
and for us to be able to fulfill our place in the body. A church that is strictly church service focused will never see what God wants to happen. I know in 80 and 82, 80 and 81, we prayed through 1,585 people. But several years ago, the Lord did say he was never going to give a harvest to Antioch that was primarily church service focused ever again. Meaning, crusade type, everybody together, bringing sinners, one preacher. No. No, because you, first of all, you, you, you can't have the numbers he's promised us. Second of all, you can't take care of them when he gives them to you. If it's one big service and one preacher and we're all here, that's not God's perfect plan. That's not his plan. Praise God. If the book says, and it does, it's more blessed to give than receive, and the word blessed means happy, then you cannot truly be happy unless you're in a place of giving to others. And most houses can't hold a group much over 20 at the most. So that means there has to be a leader for about every 10 to 15 people that God's going to give us. A mature, dedicated, committed, loving, kind, caring leader for about every 10 to 15 people who are part of this church. So my, so you know, you know what that kind of means? That kind of means that for everybody sitting in this room right now, if we had any kind of revival at all, every one of you would need to be in some kind of place of ministry and leadership just to have any hope of taking care of them. Hello? 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 So we will Sila on that. Pause here. Think about that a little bit. Okay? Two whole chapters before the law was given, God gave the revelation of the ministry of the saints. Two whole chapters. The law wasn't the beginning of God's revelation. The revelation of the place and ministry of his people to his people was the first revelation. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for our hunger, our desire to be a part of you, to be a part of what you're doing, to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, help us, Father. In Jesus' name, lead us, guide us, open our minds and our hearts that we might see, that we might understand, that we might believe that you have uniquely created each of us and you have gifted each one of us to find a place 
to minister to those people that you have chosen for us to minister to. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Bless us. Go with us as we go. Thank you for healing, for strengthening, restoring. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.